If we find ourselves in a state of anxiety or panic or we feel scattered, we can't see solutions. We just simply can't. The brain doesn't work that way. It's being overwhelmed. In doing exercise or in doing meditation or mindfulness, the conscious mind gets dissolved within the body. And it is then when we get in touch with our resources that we're able to see solutions to the problems that are facing us. Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is Tristan Stevenson. Today I am speaking with Andrew Johnson. Andrew is a meditation and mindfulness practitioner, clinical hypnotherapist, and the founder of multiple meditation and mindfulness apps and websites. He is also the co-founder of the hospitality targeting Now Pause, a charity that offers free, practical self-care tools to help you keep your mental health in check. On this episode, we define mindfulness and how it differs from other forms of meditation. We discuss ways to be mindful, reasons to be mindful, and the benefits of being mindful, as well as how these practices can be integrated into a hospitality environment. We discuss the different guises that mindfulness can take, from gentle breath work to endurance exercise. I love this conversation, as well as I think you'll agree, Andrew's calming presence. Hope you can find some time to sit back and relax whilst listening. Okay, I am here today with Andrew Johnson. Welcome to Bar Chat, Andrew. Thank you, Tristan. That's uh, really nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe before we get into this conversation, you could give myself and our listeners a brief, doesn't have to be that brief, potted bio on yourself and uh, your career. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I am a therapist to trade. I, uh, my core training is in clinical hypnotherapy, clinical and medical hypnotherapy, actually. I trained uh, at University in Glasgow, uh, 2000, oh no, gosh, 1994. So 20, I've been in this business 27 years. Um, but I quickly f- moved into training people in uh, pain control and resilience and stress management and so many things like that, uh, and started working with individuals and groups. In 2009, my uh, ex-business partner and I released the world's first meditation app, and I've been in the digital space since then. I've now got a range of apps that cover all manners of meditation and mindfulness and resilience training, and that keeps me busy. Um, I'm lucky to be in a career that I absolutely love, um, and I don't regard it as works. Right, well, let's get the plugs in early then. What's uh, to Tell us about the apps that you've got, and then perhaps we'll dig a little bit more into what mindfulness is. What's the, what's the name of the app? Well, I've got 25 apps, and most of them have my name in them. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, I, let's not go through no, all of them. let's not go through all of them. <laughs> let's not go through. That would take too long. But the, the main app that I, re- I released, my, my latest app, which is a subscription app, it was released... Uh, last August, called Relax, Change, Create. And that's my sort of catalogue of all my recordings in one app, either for the Android, uh, on the Android uh, phones or on iPhones. Uh, it's got 420 recordings on it. So, yeah, Relax, Change, Create. That's 
that's the thing that app that I'm concentrating on mostly these days. And these this app is a sort of guided mindfulness meditation practice through sort of short recordings that you listen to as you're as you're you know attempting to get into a state of mindfulness is that right it's a variety of different recordings tristan it's it's some of them are are what i call meditation with a purpose a therapeutic meditation so things like for stopping smoking and getting to sleep and beating insomnia overcoming phobias overcoming stress and anxiety and intrusive thoughts but there's also a range of courses on relax change create that teach absolute beginners relaxation and how relaxation turns into meditation and mindfulness it's so easy to become overwhelmed these days and especially in the bar industry it can be you know i have frequented a bar now and again i have to admit that and when you see the speed that people work and the things they have to remember and the the general public clamoring for attention and it's yeah i take my hat off to anyone that works in that industry and it's been you know i i work i'm part of a, a three a three-person team that started a charity for the hospitality industry back at the start of the pandemic so i'm 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 aware of how hard it's been hit oh do you want to plug the charity um tell us a little bit about it well it was the idea of a of a, a recruitment uh, specialist craig prentice um, who who lives down south, and he was a fan of my recordings and wanted to do something for the hospitality industry, but had never really sort of had the impetus to do it. And when the pandemic started, we had a couple of meetings, and he came up with the idea of creating a, a now award-winning charity called Now Pause, which supplies mindfulness resources to the hospitality industry we won an award for it last year which i was really pleased with and again and with a, another gentleman called peter kerwood who does the marketing and the design but craig is the driving force behind it he has a company called mum m-u-m and uh, that's the recruitment agency for the hospitality industry so he's really the he was really the catalyst for it Great. Well, we'll check that out. And um, on behalf of the hospitality industry, thank you. Um, that's really cool. Um, so let's take a step back then and ask the big question. What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is a state of being. It's linked closely to meditation because it is, in many ways, practiced most of the time as if it's a meditation sitting still and quietening the mind, bringing the mind into the present moment. But unlike meditation per se, mindfulness can be done in a variety of different uh, in, in a variety of different ways. We can be we can be mindful when we're drinking a cup of tea. We can be mindful when we're in a conversation. We can be mindful when we're cooking or walking or playing music. It's a state of being that brings us into the present moment. So many of us, whether we realise it or not, are spending a lot of our thoughts or time thinking either in the past about what happened 10 minutes ago or two days ago or 20 years ago, or we're thinking of the future. What's going to happen during this podcast? What's going to happen 
tomorrow? How's the weather going to be? What's etc. 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 How how how's my job going to be? What's the so many things, and very few of us are actually here and now. And mindfulness is a range of practices that are simple to learn that bring us into this moment. Now, in many ways, a lot of people will hear that and say, well, what good would that do? But in actual fact, it it makes us much more appreciative of what we're doing in the moment. So when we're having a meal, we're actually there and present having the meal and enjoying it. When we're having a glass of wine, for example, we're there with it and enjoying it. When we're in a conversation, we are actually present with the other person. And it makes life so rich and so fulfilling and so amazing that uh, it can be life-changing. Mm. Sorry, I was just thinking about something that happened in the past then. I lost my train of thought. I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, I actually... I, I, <laughs> but there, there we go. This is... I, um, I heard someone quite recently say... And it really struck a chord with me. I can't remember who it was. But the source of all anxiety is either thinking about something that happened in the past or worrying about something that's going to happen in the future. Um, and that really, for me, kind of described what mindfulness is. It's removing that past and future element out of your thoughts and being present in the moment. Absolutely. And I think, Tristan, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's a beautiful description. Most of us will have had the experience of worrying about something that's going to happen. What is, what, how am I going to react to this? And we worry and we worry and we worry and it's exaggerated in the middle of the night and we wake up and we worry. And in actual fact, what if it actually happens in real life, we cope with it. Uh, you know, it's, there's so many people that do this that, oh, I, I'm so worried about, you know, what would happen if, and it, it stops us being in the moment. We can cope with things that that they appear and knock us off balance for a little while, but we get back and we were able to deal with it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So much worrying about what we did in the past or what's going to happen in the future. Mm. And do you think there's certain personality types where they might be more te- they might have a tendency to fixate on the past more than the future, or the future more than the past? Or do you think that? You know, it's just a spectrum of anxiety that increases for some people, and it's it's both sort of forward look, forward looking and backward gazing um, anxiety. Yes, I think it can be it can be, become very habitual for a lot of people. Obviously, if something has happened in the past and we're replaying it in our mind all the time, so like a phobic reaction, something happens in the past, we get a shock from it. Your big brother puts a a rubber spider down your shirt and you think it's a real one and your body reacts, you develop a fear of that happening again, it becomes a phobic reaction and then that sticks with you all the time. The The radar goes on. Now that's a, that's a very broad definition of a phobic reaction but for so many people it's, a, it's something happens in the past and it becomes habitual behaviour. And that can happen in the future too. We start worrying about things and it becomes habit. We are we are creatures of habit. So I don't think there's necessarily a personality type. So if you're selling mindfulness practice to someone as a you know a, an idea, a concept, a you know practice that they should consider integrating into their lives, what would you kind of summarize as the key benefits of doing this? What are you going to gain from it? 
one of the major benefits of practicing mindfulness is a true and deep appreciation of what's going on in the moment in life. It, it makes life more colourful, it makes life more enjoyable, it reduces stress and anxiety, hugely. Yeah. Um, I've had a little bit of practice with this. Um, I use, I've have used, I'm pretty, I'm bad at practicing, let's be honest here. Let's just get this out now. I've, I've gone through phases of practicing. Um, I don't know whether you call it mindfulness or meditation, but I use the Waking Up app, Sam Harris's um, app, and I've very much enjoyed that. Um, and I mean, that is described as a meditation app, but I'm still not 100% clear on sort of the difference between when I'm meditating and when I'm being mindful. Um, you know, is, is, is there, if you're being mindful, if you're meditating, are you always being mindful? Or if you're mindful, are you always meditating? Where's the sort of crossover there do you, as far as you see it? Well, there's a variety of different types of meditation. Meditation in its truest form is, is really sitting and connecting with yourself on a deeper level, but it's not necessarily being in the moment. Meditation is much more about finding your true self. Um, it can be as simple as sitting eyes closed and following the breath. But there are guided meditations which will take you on a journey for a specific purpose. Gaining more clarity of thought, getting in touch with more of your resources, so for a specific reason. Um, you're absolutely right. Meditation and mindfulness is like one of those Venn diagrams that meets and there's a, there is that part in the middle that's, that's so similar. Mindfulness, I believe, doesn't really have the baggage that meditation does. A lot of people still regard meditation as a spiritual practice, and of course it can be, if that's a route that you want to go down, almost religious. And, it's, and it is seen as um, a, a religious spiritual experience, and of course it's not. It can be, but it's not. Also, a lot of the imagery that people use for meditation, which I steer away from, is you know the, sitting in a lotus position, sitting with in a in a mudra with the the, the fingers touching, etc., etc. And there's a great deal of people I believe that would benefit hugely from meditation and mindfulness, but perhaps are put off with that sort of imagery because they can't possibly imagine themselves getting into a lotus position i can't even do it yeah there's the athletic component of it right that might be a bit offering to some people being able to bend your body into that position of course you don't have to be able to sit in a lotus position to meditate do you um correct absolutely you can meditate a lot of athletes will find that you know especially the, the classic is the long distance runner they're in that rhythm that rhythm that rhythm and they get into a meditative state a deep meditative state. Now, they might not call, not call it meditation, but they are there, and it's mindful because they are there right in that moment. Yeah. Well, now you're speaking my language because I'm a long-distance runner, and um, I, uh, yeah, I got into it because, mostly because, well, there's two reasons. One, it meant that I could kind of eat whatever I wanted because um, I'd burn it off running around the place, and two, because I found it to be, like, enormously beneficial in respect of, you know, getting my thoughts in check, um, sort of almost rebooting, defragmenting the hard drive that is my brain, um, you know, relieving stress and all that kind of thing. Especially when you sort of become more comfortable running. I don't think most people get this when they're new to running because it's, it's quite 
you know, it's hard work and you're breathing hard and your lungs sometimes burn. But once you get very comfortable and fit running, um, you can get into, like you say, some sort of meditative state, a state of mindfulness, a flow state. I'm not entirely sure what the difference is between those three, but, um, well, meditation and mindfulness we've we've touched on, but flow state, which is, you know, another kind of state of mind, I guess, um, where you're alleviating some control, I would say, over your thoughts and your your body is doing and allowing things to kind of move naturally without without kind of thinking about it too much anyway whatever that is afterwards you have this wonderful sort of refreshing feeling like everything seems to make a little bit more sense you can problem solve far more efficiently the things that before that run and it doesn't have to be a run of course it could be cycling or, or some some other sort of extended um effort um, everything starts to make more sense. And it's, sometimes it's quite incredible how the, the sense of clarity that you get after exercise and you sort of marvel at how these things weren't so clear beforehand. Um, but, you know, at that point in time, your mind perhaps wasn't working in the most efficient way it could have done. And for me, anyway, there's something about exercise that, sol- that solves that problem, it fixes it. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no doubt of that. And in so many of the therapeutic practices for specific presenting issues that I've learned over the years, in the top three solutions is exercise. There's there's absolutely no doubt of that. Absolutely no doubt. The conscious mind, so we are made up obviously that this is a very brief we have describing it, a simplistic way of describing it, but we're, we have the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, the iceberg principle, tiny percentage above the water and a huge percentage unconscious. The conscious mind, the mind that we think with all the time, doesn't really take much to get overwhelmed. It's five or six things that happen. If we find ourselves in a state of anxiety or panic or we feel scattered, we can't see solutions. We just simply can't. The brain doesn't work that way. It's being overwhelmed. In doing exercise or in doing meditation or mindfulness the, the, and grounding ourselves in whichever way you, you wish to, the conscious mind gets dissolved within the body and we allow access to the resources, the unconscious mind. And it is then that the clarity comes through. It is then that the little epiphanies come through. It is then when we get in touch with our resources that we're able to see solutions to the problems that are facing us. Now, this happens quite naturally if we find ourselves in a period of stress. Something happens and we get stressed. At some point, we will get back in touch with our resources and we'll see the solutions. What exercise does or what meditation and mindfulness does or relaxation is it just makes it quicker to get in touch with those resources. It can speed it up hugely and that's there's another huge benefit for both exercise and meditation and mindfulness. You'd think they would be two different things, but they're not. They bring us to the same solution. Well, yeah, I mean, sitting in the lotus position perfectly still seems at odds with running up a hill, you know, um, and yet somehow they kind of can get the mind into a similar place. Um, so what are some other, like, access points into mindfulness, um, what, breathing and things like that, maybe? Breathing is perhaps the number one thing, and it's the, it's the anchor. It's, uh, when I'm, I do live meditations every morning, 
I think I, at the start of the pandemic, I started doing meditations on my social media channels and it, it then moved into a specific app for doing live meditations. I think I'm on day 650 at the moment of doing live meditations. Um, and I will always say at the start, return home to the breath. Return home to the breath because it's something we do every second of every minute of every hour of every day. But most of us are not conscious of it. And when we start coming back into the breath, we start to go inwards. And controlling the breath is, is incredibly powerful. It's something that there are many entry points to mindfulness. And some people get some of them some of the time and others other points of presence the rest of the time. The one thing that we all have in common is the breath. So it's a nice start if you're doing meditation, especially for me with a group, bringing the, the group into the awareness, conscious awareness of the breath. And it's uh, that, can, that can be the most simple and the most beneficial meditation there is, just sitting with the breath. Can you think of um, sort of ways in which the, these um, techniques can be applied in the workplace whilst at work, especially if it's a stressful environment? And, you know, this is a podcast for bartenders, hospitality industry, um, who, you know, they're in, a, they're in a stressful environment often. And, um, you know, mindfulness can certainly be used as a tool to alleviate stress, as we've discussed. So what are some ways that you, we can sort of quickly activate these techniques um, to sort of calm a situation down? Uh, coming into the body is, is perhaps the most, the, the quickest in any situation. Actually, whether standing or sitting, simply noticing the body, noticing your feet on the floor and just noticing the breath, not necessarily changing it, just noticing it. Now, as I said earlier, the conscious mind cannot think of more than five or six things at once. It gets overwhelmed. By taking part of the mind consciously into the breath and moving the belly and moving the chest and feeling the heaviness and the connection your hands have to your body and the feet have to the floor, that's diluting the conscious mind. And when you dilute it, when you take it into the body, it opens up, as I said earlier, it opens up passageways to resources. We start to see the solutions. We start to think, okay, if I do this and I do this, that will help. And if I do this and I do this, it will help. It seems almost wrong to kind of try and schedule this sort of behavior um, and, and practice because it's, there's something, you don't want it to be too contrived and planned out. Right, but what would what sort of advice would you give on how often we should practice mindfulness? How long for particular times of the day, perhaps, or particular situations? Well, I'm I'm aware that as soon as I say one time of the day that is better than the others, people will say, "Well, I don't have time during that." Yeah, there is no there is no good time. Um, there really isn't, and I know that's a cop out. I know it is, but. There isn't. There is the time that suits you. Um, I would say, as a general rule, learning to connect with your breath and learning to become mindful, last thing at night in bed will get you into a much deeper and quicker sleeping pattern. Hugely beneficial. 
learning to get into the same state just after you've woken up will set you up wonderfully for the day. Absolutely wonderfully. Um, and practicing for maybe five minutes now and again during the day, if you feel your anxiety levels starting to rise and you start to feel a little scattered, by simply taking some time away and doing two or three or four or five minutes of breathing and connecting to your body will make a massive difference. To enable yourself to do that, however, you need to be preemptive. So you need to listen, find a recording or a, a technique that works for you and just keep practicing it and becomes, until, as you said earlier, it becomes the flow state. Something that you're doing that you're not even trying to do, it just happens. With meditation and relaxation and mindfulness, if you practice long enough, the body will take over, like diaphragmatic breathing, taking your breathing deeper. Practicing that technique for once a day for four or five minutes, for about three weeks, it becomes an inbuilt habit. And then people will report back, they'll, they'll come back to me and say, Do you know, it's funny, I, I found myself in a stressful situation. And I've suddenly realised that I was breathing much deeper. It's as if the body takes over, as if the body knows that this is a good thing to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about breathing. Um, where, where does some like deeper breathing techniques like holotropic breath work and things like that fit into this? Is that an access point to a state of mindfulness or is that attempting to achieve something different? That can be as, as the, a lot of the terminology these days is about life hacks um, and different diaphragmatic breathing. So breathing a little deeper, you can be breathing from the belly you can be breathing from the chest and it doesn't really matter. We are all very different. For the purposes of relaxation, it is much better to breathe deeper. We're taking more oxygen in. Mm. We are breathing slower, but this is a technique that most of us need to learn mm. because we are overcoming habitual behaviors that we've built up over the years. If you've been really unfortunate enough to have a panic attack or you've witnessed seeing someone having a panic attack and it's a horrible horrible thing people are almost breathing from their collarbones and therefore the solution to any kind of stress or anxiety is to reverse that just to take it a little bit slower and down into the belly that's why for a lot of people it's really nice to start with the hands there so that they can really feel the expansion and contraction of the belly or, or using the diaphragm. The one thing, when I'm teaching people to do all this, the one thing I will continuously say through the, the, the training is, please, please don't be fooled by the simplicity of these techniques. They really are that simple, but they can be profoundly beneficial. Hugely, hugely beneficial. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost spooky, isn't it? How powerful the breath can be. Um, I recently read uh, Wim Hof's book, um, who, of course, is the, the famous uh, Dutch uh, guy who does these breathing techniques and submerges himself in ice water and runs marathons in the desert with no water and all this crazy stuff. And, I mean, he... Some of the things he's achieved and, you know, with surrounded by scientists who can back all this up by testing him just through 
breath work is unbelievable. They injected him with E. coli, and he 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 showed no symptoms and survived it. Um, you know, needed no no uh, medicine or anything to recover, just by controlling his breath. Um, it's it's unbelievable, really. <laughs> it is it is perhaps a little far for the the average person to to go. I don't think I, <laughs> yeah. Wim Hof is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And I'm working on a course at the moment with my partner, and we are doing. An, an awful lot of work on, on things like diaphragmatic breathing, on box breathing, on psychological size, and the power of just changing the breath for specific reasons. For example, uh, uh, a longer inhale will increase the heart rate and give you more attention. A longer exhale will slow the heart rate and take you into a state of deeper relaxation. Now, all that from just maybe adding 10%, 15 or 20% length of time onto the inhale or the exhale, sometimes over 30 seconds, that's all it takes. But it can be that hack that gives you that little bit of advantage during the day, depending on what you need. Yeah, it is. I, I, um, I read up a little bit on this, actually. I understand it that basically on the exhale, your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, which reins in your heart rate, and your heart actually beats slower Mm. as you're exhaling. Now, of course, we don't tend to take longer or deep enough breaths on the inhale or exhale for that to make a huge amount of difference. But even if you put your fingers on your pulse and take a long inhale, you'll feel your heart rate quicken and then a long exhale, and you'll feel it slow down. It's a bit unnerving the first mm-hmm. time you do it because you assume that this thing's ticking at a at a consistent pace, but it's not. <laughs> it's not, and it's and it's and it's very health. It's it's um, and it's called heart rate variability, and it's it's actually good if you've got a, a sort of wide heart rate variability, a big difference between the exhale and the in the inhale. Um, if you don't, it's a sign that you're under quite a lot of stress. It's a it's a fascinating subject, and there is a a huge amount of information being researched at the moment into breath work. And I, you know, I, Wim Hof has got a lot to be, you know, thanked for this bringing into the mainstream. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have to ask, because you mentioned it at the start, um, hypnosis. So where does that factor into this? What's the, you know, we mentioned the Venn diagram earlier of, of meditation and mindfulness. Is there a crossover point where hypnosis you know, feeds into this as well. Um, can you perhaps elaborate a little bit on that? Because I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued as to whether or not you've in some way hypnotized me during our conversation. <laughs> you will give me all your money. <laughs> oh, I wish that I wish that was true. No, I, I, hypno, hypnotherapy is, for anyone who's had it, well, I'm sure they'll agree with me that it's a very gentle and very deeply relaxed state, very deeply relaxed. And for anyone that meditates or does deep relaxation or does shavasana at the end of yoga, they will recognize that state. There's a series of techniques that guides someone into a meditative state, Um, although in hypnotherapy we call that state trance. It's just a different word for the same thing. Suggestibility, where the unconscious mind is open to suggestions that are beneficial. 
So hypnotherapy is incredibly powerful, but only helping people do what they want to do. For example, if someone had said to me, as they did on quite a few occasions, I don't want to stop smoking. My wife wants me to stop. I have to say to that person, there's nothing I can do. There's absolutely nothing I can do. Come back when you want to stop. So it's, it is um, the, the Hollywood portrayal of hypnosis is, is not a very beneficial one. This idea that you can control people, it's far, far, far from that. It's very powerful helping people, as I say, do what they want to do. So if you want to look at the comparison between meditation and mindfulness and hypnosis, it is the stillness, the slow heart rate, the much deeper breathing, the heaviness, the 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 quiet mind, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hmm. So you could say perhaps that in in one sense, you know, um, a state of mindfulness can be um, instigated. To, by yourself to yourself and the hypnosis is in a way kind of doing it to someone else or, or giving them the tools they need to get there yes and and people will practice self-hypnosis but the, the people can learn self-hypnosis but if you compare the techniques that people use for clinical hypnotherapy to get to get people down into trance or a meditative state and the techniques that people use in a guided meditation to get people into a meditative state, they're very close. They're very close. So if you think of hypnotherapy as the hypno bit getting people into that relaxed state, it's the therapy part that makes the difference, if that makes sense. So it's it's taking someone into a very deeply relaxed state, but it's what you do at that point, the suggestions the dissociation, the, the post-hypnotic suggestions for breaking habits or recovering from pain or uh, getting over phobias, that's the, that's the part that we're trained in, if that makes sense. Great. Um, just going back to um, the you know, a bit more hospitality-focused, um, and you mentioned about the charity that you, you, you set up, um, mm. you know, offering... Uh, uh, sort of guided meditation mindfulness for for the industry. Have, how has that been received? What's the um, you know what have you seen as an impact on that? It's it's been pretty widely accepted. We don't, however, measure the use of the recordings. We wanted to make this particular way of accessing the recordings completely free to everybody, and know that no one can see who's using it. There is still. And this just doesn't, this isn't just the hospitality industry, it's so many industries. We've, things have opened up so much, but there's still a huge stigma about it, about stress and anxiety. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I hope that some of the stigma associated with, you know, being stressed, um, you know, mental unwellness um, is slowly kind of fizzling out um, as we talk about it more. And, you know, it's people like yourself and who are creating apps and, and, and charities to support the industry, um, as well as many others that, you know, m- mindfulness and meditation practices, you know, ten, even 10 years ago, it was really, in my opinion, that sort of only the preserve of a small group of people. And now it's sort of on everyone's radar, I think. 
And um, I know that I have conversations um, with colleagues about it and it, you know, it's, it's sort of being normalized and being recognized as the, you know, the tool, the, you know, the remarkable tool that it is. Um, and the more we talk about it, of course, the, the more it becomes normal. And, and, you know, I guess the hope then is that, you know, every workplace is accepting of the fact that people get stressed um, and that there are ways in which to, you know, work around that stress and, and, and you know, alleviate it. Um, where should we go to access this content um, and, and, and any other content that you, you want to mention? Um, what, what's, the, what's the name of the apps or the websites? Well, if you go to andrewjohnson.co.uk, it's G-O-H-N-S-O-N. Unfortunately, I've got one of those names that can be spelled of it three different ways. But uh, andrewjohnson.co.uk will give you a link to everything that I do, including the live meditations, the apps, the charity, the social media, etc., etc. Good stuff. Great. Look, Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Um, I have no doubt that this will be an extremely beneficial episode of the podcast for for everyone listening because I just think it opens doors, literally opens doors to the mind. Um, And um, I know from my... (laughs) <laughs> intermittent past experiences that mindfulness pra- um, practice can can really be hugely beneficial as well as obviously the exercise and, and that kind of thing so um yeah thanks thank you for for coming on thank you so much for the invite tristan it's been an absolute pleasure wow what an enlightening episode that was now if you want to hear a little bit more from andrew and i don't know why you wouldn't Be sure to check out our Bar Chat short episode, which includes a few additional minutes of bonus content. And if you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. It's free. Uh, Go to diageobaracademy.com. And membership means you will receive exclusive bonus content.